We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where we go over a little bit about yesterday's slate, yesterday's six-game slate, and uh, talk a little bit about today's slate. Today's slate is loaded with pitching. Wow. I mean, well, there may be many, there, there, there may be many ways to go on today's 13-game slate, but we'll talk a little bit about that. Mostly about DFS strategy, because that's what we do here on this show. Answer your questions in YouTube. I see you guys. Daniel Hutchins, Max Coach, Jerome Lewis, Doug Montgomery, Woo Woo J Train, Drewpocalypse, Frederick Dute, Tony P, Sal Corral, Chandler Cannon, Zach Cobbs, Tyler Coleman. G. Sarceda, 12, Colin Lawson, Joe Mack. Oh, we got we got a lot of people here. A lot of people here on Tuesday morning. Hit that thumbs up button. Give me those tummy thumbs. I got my apple juice. I'm running. I'm running a little low on apple juice. I, I think I think I can make it out to, to the end of the week for 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 apple juice. But hit that thumbs up button. Keep it cold. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live in the morning or any time shows throughout the day on this channel. Yesterday, yesterday, yesterday was good in the beginning for me. And then they're not good. They're not good. I was up top. I was up at the 50,000 for a little bit. Well, that's what happens when you have a couple of Rockies lineups. Well, it's, it's the PMR. It's the PIR thing of like, Oh, okay. Well, I do have a lot, a lineup with Elias Diaz and, and Ryan, Ryan McMahon and a couple of the Orioles or whatever. And now up oh, there I am. Austin Gomber, I'm I'm up there, and then, then people catch me. Then people catch me. It was only it, I I like had two Rockies lineups. Like so, it's not like I was like all in on the Rockies or anything like that. Uh, you know, a couple of solo shots against against Peterson. I had more Peterson than the Rockies, right? So actually, well, I wanted Peterson to do well. Just happened to have it's a six game slate. 
I mean, that that's, I think a lot of people get, uh, I, a lot of people, I don't know, some people like big slates, some people like small slates, but I think people play, people, I think people play small slates poorly for the most part. I that in the average the average player plays the small slates poorly. I, I mean they play the large slates poorly also, but I mean in a different in a different way. See, like on a large slate, what ends up happening on a large slate is that uh since there's so many options, people get like anchored to specific ones. So we end up with like today's slate, uh, there's 26 teams and uh now on this slate, the pitching may be actually somewhat spread out, but there are certain distinct hitting spots, right? There might may not just be one, but maybe two, three, four, and then they just go like, okay, there's going to be inflated ownership, especially when there's there's like twenty other teams to cho- choose from. So like now, if you're off of those like four spots, the 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 ownership on all the other teams ends up being lower, but they're all about equally low. So like to go after any of those teams, like you, you have, you, you, it's like going to a candy store, right? It's like, I, I could play 10 of these teams, right? I mean, like there's no distinct, there's no distinct way to go, right? You just know, okay, there's a whole bunch of teams that are going to be 3% though. Which ones do I play? Which one do I play? I don't know. Now on a six game slate, a lot more paths to leverage, a lot, a lot cleaner paths the first place that people do not take. Okay. So yesterday on yesterday's slate, we had, let's take a look at this pitcher ownership. I guide on the small slates. I guide everything by pitcher ownership, not by, not necessarily by hitter ownership. And you'll see why. Well, if we just look, I mean, obviously I brought up some, some people that placed high. Uh, I did also, I think I came in, what, a lineup at 37th or something. I, I, whatever, whatever. I had a whole bunch of lineups. Uh, players that, that came up fairly high. So we have Blake Snell at 34%, Lance Lynn, 34%, Frankie Montes, 31%, 28% for Woodruff, 26 for Peterson, 17 for Gomber, and 12 for Means. Okay. Now, I expected, I expected this Montes ownership to be a bit more. I expected Montes to be the highest owned. I thought it would be like Montes, then Snell, then Peterson, then Woodruff, then Lynn. I thought Lynn would be actually one of the lower. I mean, he would still come in at like 25%. And then Gomber at like 15 and then Means at like 10. And then Gakuchi, yeah, like about 4 or 5%. So looking at this, just looking at this pitcher ownership, if you want the cleanest path the first place, if you see here, just I mean, just by the results, Snell didn't get there. Lynn didn't get there. Montes didn't get there. Now, Lynn didn't get there. I mean, he still had a, he actually still had a good game. It's just that he only gets like two strikeouts or something. I mean, he was pitching a no hitter at, at a certain point. So it's not like the Cardinals got there. But I just look at this ownership and I go, what's the most beneficial path to first place? The, the easiest way on a six game slate when we have like all these pitchers are going to be owned. So from basically from Peterson upward, if Peterson doesn't do well, like it destroys like first place probabilities for like a quarter of the field. And when Peterson doesn't do well, that means the Rockies did well. Woodruff against the Padres. 
Montes against the Mariners, Lynn against the Cardinals, and Snell against the Brewers. Well, what stacks did I play? I played the Brewers, the Cardinals, the, the Mariners, the Padres, a little bit of the Rockies. I had to play. I played a, I played a ton of Peterson and Gomber. And then since if I wasn't playing Woodruff in lineups or Snell in lineups or Lynn in lineups, now I play them in certain lineups, then where, where, where do I spend for pitching? I mean, what, am I, I going to leave 8,000 on the table? No, I'm going to play a bunch of John Means instead. I played some Kikuchi as well because Oakland was, was owned. So just by going by pitching ownership could determine the easiest paths to first place. And I had a whole bunch of lineups. Once the Twins came in, right, once, once uh, some, of the, some of the late teams started started hitting, uh, that kind of destroyed, I mean, like, like the, the Twins got there when yeah, I didn't have enough of them. But still, like the Brewers against Snell. You're like, why the hell did you play the Brewers against Snell without Yelich? Well, Snell's a lefty, and Dave Wright is in their lineup, and they're 5% owned. On a, on a slate that there's only six games. And Snell's going to be one of the highest owned pitchers. So why not? Doesn't mean I don't play Snell. So I played at Snell in lineups that I was playing the Mariners. Right? There were multiple choice. Like, it, if you were to play any of, if you were to play the Rockies, the Rockies, the Padres, the Mariners, the Cardinals, or the Brewers, in a lineup, and then build around, well, since I don't have this guy, then I can play this other guy. I think that was that was the easiest path to first place yesterday. Right? Playing playing the playing the A's, not so much, because Kikuchi's barely owned. Playing the Indians against Turnbull, who's barely owned. Playing the Twins against Means, who's barely owned. Playing the Mets against Gomber, who wasn't at that that owned, 17%. Playing the White Sox against the unknown Kim. Playing the Orioles against Shoemaker. The Tigers against Henkes. Yeah, well, the reason why these pitchers weren't owned is because obviously they're the worst pitchers on the slate. I mean, the Orioles against Shoemaker was one of the highest owned. Ted, the Tigers against Henkes was the highest owned. But it's a six-game slate. How are you going to get different? Because if you're just going to go, I'm going to I'm going to stack the Orioles and the Tigers together, and then play uh, Snell and Woodruff because you have the money. Like you, you're now you're now you're now you know you now have a harder path to first place on a six game slate. Do you have to do this type of stuff necessarily on a 13 game slate? No, you have a lot more option. You have to go immediately go and start attacking some of the higher owned pitchers. But the Mariners against Montes, like Montes, Montes is not that great of a pitcher. I thought he was going to be like 40, 45% owned. So why not take the Mariners? Why not take the, the stack is, you, you had all the money in the world yesterday. Okay. Cruz was out for the twins. There's no, there's no one to pay up for. There's, no, there's nothing to pay. I mean, you had short stops to pay Ramirez. He was popular. Tim Anderson, Tatis. I mean, I played a bunch of Tatis because he was under owned. I mean, didn't do anything, but whatever. So you could leave 4,000 on the table. Some of my lineups, I left 3,000 on the table. But you have to think in terms of what's the easiest path to first place. Yes, the the Orioles and the Tigers projected the best. They're also owned the most. So if we take a look at 
the full ownership. So if we take a look at the, the Orioles, Santander, 28%. Mullins, 27%. We have, here's the Tigers, 25 for Scope, 24 for Grossman. Abreu, 25. Tim Anderson, 24. The White Sox. Yes, Eric Haas was 21% owned. Yerman Mercedes, 19% owned. Galvis for the Orioles. Canna for the A's. White Sox. Moncada. Indians. Rosario. Pinder for the A's. Garver for the Twins. Tigers. Orioles. Indians. White Sox. Twins. Until we get down to the first, like, Mariner, that's, like, 10%. Right? Until you get to, you know, Tatis is there. Cronenworth is 7%. Right? Story is 7% for the Rockies. So once we once we get down here, Kyle Seeger got a big, fat zero. I needed him. 6%. And look, the Brewers. The Brewers don't even start until, what, 6% Garcia? Look at the dramatic difference between the ownerships of, of multiple teams on a slight where it wasn't, it, there was no like appealing spot. The Orioles were the most appealing spot, but just by default. On any other slate, this was 13 games. The Orioles wouldn't be that owned. They'd be like, oh, okay, well, I guess so. I, I guess I'm in Shoemaker, I guess. Just based on the context of the slate, they were the most owned team. Say for the Tigers. How often do you see the Tigers at this ownership? Or say for the Indians. I mean, yeah, I get I get Jose Ramirez. They have to spend up somewhere. Third base, why not? He's got two points. I mean, but take a take a look, take a look at the the point totals of the highest owned players. Now, Santander and Mullins, okay, they had double digits. But Scope, two. Abreu, two, Grossman, four, Tim Anderson, zero, Ramirez, two, Mancini, three. Haas, zero. Loriano three. Mercedes, three. Detis, three. Galvis, eight. Cannot, two. It wasn't a high-scoring slate. But look at how much ownership failed in the higher-priced bats. These stacks did not get there. So playing off the board, you go, you're going to play the Brewers against Snell? Well, anything could happen. Is it going to happen four times less frequently than what the field thinks it's going to happen? No. Do you play a five-man stack? Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you're playing 4-3-1. Maybe you're playing a chalk Oriole stack, but you're playing three-man Oriole. You're playing three-man Brewers against the highest-owned pitcher, and you're playing two other pitchers. People had money to spend, so I knew that Woodruff is going to be owned and Lynn's going to be owned and Snell's going to be owned. So how could you how could you be different from that? On a six-game slate in a sport that has tremendous amounts of variance. Yes, if Snell goes out and pitches and uh, 35 points and Lynn goes out and pitches and gets 25 points, you're okay. And then the Orioles score 10 runs and the Tigers put up eight runs. Okay, you lose. But if you make those lineups, it's not like you guaranteed to win. The score is going to be 250 points. Good luck getting the perfect, perfect, you know, nut lineup. I'm looking for a way to win without getting the nut lineup. That, ever, that you need to have because everyone has those players. So I think yesterday was a classic example of, you know, so much of the field anchored onto three spots out of 12 
condensed on pitching and then taking advantage of the opposite way. We could see here in some uh, constructions, like, let's see. I mean, if you just, I mean, it, it's so, it's so telling. A lot of times you bring up some of the top 150 players and you look at the bat, like you take away the pitching, right? And you sort by ownership and you see how much yellow and red there is typically like the top screen, right? Yellow because yellow is the color code for like under underweight. Red is severely underweight. Green is over. So yeah, OCD. Yeah, was over on the the A's, but barely, but look, nothing. No Santander. Orioles were almost non-existent. Trey Mancini, 3%. So BK Reader, a little bit more even. Indians, Indians, so Nerdy Tenor, a bunch of Indians over, but still for the most part, under on the Tigers, under on the White Sox, under on the Orioles. The Colts, under on the Tigers, White Sox, Royal Payne 21, so under. Doesn't mean they have none of them. But for the most part, chalk bats on this type of slate especially go under, and you see all this green underneath in the seven, looking looking the five to seven percent range. Here's some Cardinals, right? Goldschmidt. Here's another Goldschmidt, gold card right here. Cardinals, Cardinal stats, Molina. Cardinals down here, like Harrison Bader at 30% who had to come out of the game. Or look, playing the Tigers, but playing the ninth hitter. Right. Tigers were chalky. Willie Castro, 2%. Of course, you put up 23 points, had a home run. But so many people built the Tigers stack, and the bottom of the order, they just said, ah, ah. so that's a way to go. Take one of the chalky teams and play it, play it a lower-owned player from that team because they bat lower in the order. Just like the Indians with Rene Rivera, like the catcher position. Ninth-hitting catcher, don't want to play. Well, it's better than playing the t- highest-owned five Indians with Snell and Lynn or something. Like, it, you're building lineups like everyone else. I mean, not many people pl- not many people played the Rockies. I mean, I, I, I had the Rockies in two lineups. So don't act like I like, oh my God, why were you on the Rockies? I had a stack of every team. Just depends on how many of them I had. But some people, some, some like Megan Joy or OCD, just all in on just the Orioles do well, they lose. That's just it. They were the highest on Santander, 28% owned. Mullins at 27. But of course, 12 and 14. No one, no one on this slate put up a million points. You could have won with a ton of different types of combinations. Pretty much, you kind of needed Woodruff and and Gomber, although that that wasn't necessary. But I think so many people go into these these smaller slates and go, well, there there, there aren't that many choices. I go, there's plenty of choices. You could play the Mets. You could, there's there's twelve teams on the slate. Yeah, but their team total is three point two. So, so let's say, let's say today they put up six. Well, if everyone else only puts up two or three, then six is the highest scoring team on the slate. Does it happen frequently? No, it doesn't. It's not the most probable. 
your goal in DFS is not to play the most probable. It's to play the most profitable. And if everyone in your mother is going to be playing the Orioles, the White Sox, the Tigers, and the A's, I guess, some combination of that with Snell and Montes and Lynn and whoever up here, well, you're just competing against so many other similar lineups. When Elias Diaz hits a home run at 1% owned in, in a Rockies four-man, who am I competing against? A couple other lineups? I mean, not many other lineups. Right, I'm sitting there with, with, with two Rockies home runs that one's 4% owned and one's 1% owned. I'm not competing against that many people. Now, <clears throat> am I playing a ton of Rockies lineups? No, but you could have if you said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to play I'm gonna play the Rockies against Peterson. And then in that lineup, you put in three or, and then, then you put in Orioles. That's what I did. Put Santander, you put Mullins, you put Mancini in there. Okay, now you're fine. He's like, how do I get different on a six-game slate? Doesn't mean you have to X out the chalk. Build lineup constructions that make sense for why there's chalk in there because you're getting leverage in another spot. And it's so much, to me, it's so much easier on the six-game slate. Because it's so much clearer to see. 13-game slate like we have today. Who knows? I mean, the pitchers on the slate, it's going to be, depending on the pitch count, how much of a pitch count is uh, is DeGrom going to have? I don't know. We have Scherzer, DeGrom, Giolito, Burns, Musgrove, Kluber, Flaherty, Heaney, Berrios, Rich Hill, Charlie Morton, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, we got, we got a lot of pitchers on this slate. And if the ownership doesn't like condense onto one, like there may not be a purpose in stacking against any of them. This is what, that's what I mean by looking at going by the pitching ownership. I think it's, it's very important to understand. You win DFS contests by relative value, by having more points than your opponents, but your lineups could positively or negatively correlate to your opponent's lineups. So when you play the chalk, when you play Snell, Lynn, or something like that, and Orioles, your your opponent's lineups look very similar to yours. There are more lineups that look similar to yours than don't look similar to yours. But when you when you play a lineup that's like the Rockies and the Rockies and the Orioles plus Means and Gomber or something like that, when you're playing uh, the Brewers, when you're playing a Brewers stack, well, as your lineups get better, 34% of your opponent's lineups get worse. Because you have the Brewers against Snell. You have the Cardinals against Lynn. You have the Mariners against Montes. Montes is 31% owned. So for every Mariners run, you're getting points, and 30% of the field is losing them at the same time. So you're gaining actually more points for those events, when Kalanick hits a home run, it's not a 14-point solo home run in a vacuum. Well, two points is coming off of 31% of the field. Not 100% of the field, but 31% of the field. So that home run is worth more to you, slightly more. Hence, why, especially in a six-game slate, it's like, well, how about how much are Tigers' home runs worth? 
Well, Tiger's home runs worth are, are, are less, are less. Hentges is less than 1% owned. There aren't many negatively correlated lineups to yours. There aren't. When you play the Orioles against Shoemaker, there aren't many negatively correlated lineups to yours. When you play the White Sox, there aren't just 1%. When you play the A's, okay, Kikuchi goes down. Four, the 4% of the field starts going down. When you play the Indians, 7% of the field goes down. When you play the Twins, 12% of the field goes down. But when you play the Cardinals against Lynn, if Arenado hits a home run, Lynn goes down two points and Arenado goes up 14 or whatever. Multi-hit home run, you know, multi-run home run. It's even more. Grand Slam? Grand Slam's worth like 26 points to you now. Well, 26 points versus to a third of the field. So looking at this, taking those opportunities. Now, since now I'm I'm building 100 lineups. I'm going to go, I'm going to build some against Woodruff. I'm going to build some negatively correlated to Montes. Build some that are negatively correlated to Lynn. Build some that are negatively correlated to Snell. If I was playing three lineups, I would have done three of those. I would have chose three. I probably would have chosen the, the Mariners. Probably done the Mariners, the Brewers, and they're probably the Mariners, Brewers, and the Cardinals, right? Something like that. Now, for now, probably the Padres against Woodruff. We built one lineup of each. So it's not like, oh, you have 100 lineups. You can do whatever you want. Like, no, I would, if I had one lineup, I would have just chosen one. Prob- probably the probably the Mariners. So I actually thought Montez was going to be higher on the 31%. I'm not, I'm not betting on the Mariners. I'm betting on the fact that Montez is over-owned for his projection. The Mariners have had good enough projection that I have an easier way to win if I just play the Mariners than if I play the White Sox, the Tigers, or the Orioles, or the A's. I'm not getting as much, nearly nowhere close to the amount of relative value against the field. Those teams do well, and those pitchers do well. I mean, that's those. That's what those lineups look like. So I hope you understand that. Going through the YouTube chat. Right, Daniel Hunching says, it seems like on very small slates, the smaller number of possible combinations leads to Blad players' ownership being even more condensed than usual. Right. Uh, let's see. Michael Lingenfelter, what's the easiest way to set up a rule to make sure that the higher-owned stacks don't end up with the higher-owned pictures in lineup HQ? Just find those lineups when you build them, see what their cumulative ownership is, and build lineups that are lower than it. That's... That's the blunt force way to do it. And that, I mean, I, that's, that's my last trim. My last trim when I do my, uh, my builds is that. Max total lineup ownership. Because communal of ownership is not, is, is, not the, is not the best metric. But it, it could be used as a blunt tool. So, for instance, you build a whole bunch of lineups. Like, we don't have ownership now, right? We'll refresh. I don't think so. Let's see. No, we don't. But let's say, let's say yesterday, for instance, on yesterday's slate, you build lineups and you're still playing a whole bunch. So I'm still playing some Orioles stacks, still playing some twins. I'm still playing some of these teams. But I find that like I'm getting too many lineups where it's like, oh, Orioles, Indians, Snell, P. 
Peterson, you know, like something like that. You know, it's like, that's too chalky. Well, what's the communal of ownership? 166. Okay, I go and I look at the next highest owned lineup and it's like 162 and that's a very similar type lineup. I see where that number lies. Where does that number lie? You build, I'm building 100 lineups. I start, I sort by, you could sort your lineups by projected ownership. You start at the top because that this lineup too chalky. Yes, okay, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Then you see combinations where it's like, oh, it's still chalk pitcher, chalk stack. You go da 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 da, and then you get to a certain point. It's like, oh, here's the lineup at one forty five. And I don't, I don't see like the the combinations I don't want underneath it. So then you just say, okay, one forty five, and re, re, rebuild. So basically, all the lineups that are on top of it aren't going to be made anymore, and they'll be replaced with lineups that, that have combinations that are. That can't have that high of a communal of ownership, which typically means the highest owned pitchers and the highest owned batters. That that's that's a blunt way of doing it. You could also build more lineups than you need, and and trim. Meaning that you, you, if I'm building 100 lineups, I'll build 150, and then trim the ones that I don't want. You could trim the ones that are either too high owned or too low projected. You could do, you trim on both sides. Some people do it that way. I, I prefer to just, I, I use the blunt tool. Depends. It depends on what I'm doing. Also depends on the sport. Depends on the slate. And football, I'm much more likely to just trim. In football, a lot of times that when I'm building 100, 150 lineups, I build like 250. And then I trim from there. There aren't as many combinations. That, that's a better way of putting it. In football, I mean, obviously, other than the defense, because you could rotate those. There just aren't as many of, like, the stack combinations. Two plus one, three plus two, you know, like, because you're getting a run back in it. So it's a little bit easier to go through and go, okay, I can trim some of these and trim some of those. Baseball, maybe not so much. to say, you know, this one has a seven-ninth hitter, and this one has a second and a third hitter. I mean, there's so many more combinations in baseball. But that to me, that's the easiest way. You don't have to, I don't have to use groups. I mean, an easy way, if you want to ju- if, if it's just for pitchers or batters, you, you could have you could have made a group yesterday and said, uh, Snell, Lynn, Woodruff, no more than one, right? Or so you take the top four pitchers and say, group min zero, max one, if you want. I mean, that's a that's a I mean, guaranteed you that, but there are probably some combinations of Lynn Montes that have a 3% on Rocky stack that you can't make now because you've limited only one of these pitchers. If you wanted to do that. Same thing for hitters. I mean, let's say you're like, okay, I don't, you take everyone that's 25% DI, Abreu, Scope, Peterson, Mullins, Woodruff, Santander, Montes, Lynn, Snell, and say max one. And there you go. You could do it that way. <clears throat> that's another blunt, hard type of approach. But now you're limiting yourself by just like, you're never going to get these lineups that come together like this. All of your Santander Mullins Orioles stacks are not going to be with any of these pitchers. Even if your second pitcher is Kikuchi, right? Even though your three-man stack is the Rockies that are 1%. It's like, that's still a good lineup, but it can't make it because you put this group in that just limits that possibility. Or you're getting an Orioles stack, but you're not getting Santander or Mullins in it. You're getting a Franco Mancini... Galvis, 
Mountcastle Wilkerson stack, which may be fine. But you're sitting there going, oh, look, I got 10 Orioles stacks and none of them have Santander in it because you put that group in place. Because all those lineups have David Peterson, a pitcher. I mean, like, because you put all these guys in one group and kind of just cut it off from there. But when some, some things that are obvious, we have slates sometimes where it's like, oh, these two pitchers are going to be de facto chalk. Like it's going to be two pitchers at like 50% owned and everything else is going to be lower. I may just decide, I may just say, I'm not even going to bother making a lineup that has both those pitchers in it at all. That's just a, that's a group of two pitchers at least. At least I'm not limiting myself to like, like eight players in the pool. Uh, Melvin Pitts, hey, Blender, what's the new Max 3 sword option? Oh, that's for if you want to check to see uh, where the gaps in your lineups are. Gaps in the batting order. Uh, the, the, the development team is working on uh, an option, uh, a build option for, for Max gaps. So a gap is like, obviously, let's say we go to the, well, what's the first team here? Let's go to Cincinnati, whatever. Doesn't matter. Don't play. Make it sure or probably not. So, like, if you play one, two, three, four, five, that's a max gap of zero. You have no gaps. One, two, three, four, six, you have a max gap of one, right? One, two, three, four, seven, you have a max gap of two. One, two, three, four, eight, you have a max gap of one to, of three. Actually, probably it's actually one because eight could wrap around to one. So what this is going to do, we given, we've given you the sorting option for now while the development team works on it. So let's, let's build, let's just build whatever. Let's go in, build 5X just for, for whatever. Let's build, let's build 20 lineup. Put in some zeros and run this. Some people don't like playing like big gaps in, in, the, in the batting order in their lineups. It's like max cap two, max cap zero. So if you want to start max cap zero, load it like all your lineups and check them. So max cap zero, max cap zero, max cap one, 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 two, two. There are three. We got some threes down here. So here's a three. It contains in their five-man stack. It's one, two, three, four, eight. So that's a gap of three. So you'd be able to say maybe you didn't want to play this type of lineup. Like, you know, I don't want to have that big of a gap. I don't want to have Garber there. Right? So maybe you go in, you switch. You gotta take Garber out. Put in Sanchez. Right? And like you go up to what? Sano. Right, because he's sixth. You do something like that. Right, so you, eh, you try to spend your money. Right, you move up from Taylor Walls. Go up to Glaber Torres. There, you could fix. You could fix. You could fix your lineups. So now it only has a max gap of one. Right, here's a max gap of three. Same type of lineup with Garver, Simmons. Right, so you got a basically a two. Four, six, eight, nine. Did you want that? No. You could X them out. You know, delete that. Okay, gone. Right. Did you want to hear one, 
two, four, seven, nine. Maybe, maybe now you could, since you could have, since you could now sort by this, you can now determine like, okay, can I switch someone out in this lineup? Or do I just don't want it at all? Right. Or I don't want lineups or anything. Like here's a max app of three, max app of three, max app of three. Here's a max app of two. You click on this. He's like, delete all lineups below. There you go. Gone. All of those max cap three lineups are gone. Just an easier way for you to be able to see it. Now they're working on an option where you could have in the builder rules, a max gap where you could say, I, I, in all of my lineups, I want a max gap of one. So don't make any stack that doesn't have a max gap. So it won't make those lineups. Eliminates those. If you don't mind max cap of three, fine. It'll make those. That's fine. It'll give you an option. But right now, we're, we're able to sort by that. We're able to count and see. In order to generate lineups with that as an option, that's what the development team is working on. It's a little bit more complicated. Because really, the function right now is just counting. It's not generating anything. It's coming from the generator, giving you the lineups, and then counting and saying, okay, this is what it looks like. And then there'd be work on the generator side to generate lineups with that as an option. That, but that, that should, that's coming. When, I don't know. But this is kind of like a go-between. Some people are like, I'm getting, I'm getting big gaps in my stacks. I'm getting gaps in my stacks. Oh my God. Oh my God, I'm getting gaps in my stacks. It's not that big of a deal. I don't mind gaps in my stacks. I don't. But some people do. So now they're able to at least organize it and look at them. Because without this, without this function, without this organization, you'd have to go individually and count. Imagine having 100 lineups and do it. And Michael Dampier asks if I would use the mass gap functionality. Probably not. The correlation of all the players in one team's lineups, you're positively correlated. Yes. Two players that are that are next to each other correlate more, but not to, not not a million percent. One, two, three, eight, nine, eight, nine, one, two, three. Like yes, it correlates better than eight, nine, one, two, four. Slight by by point nothing by nothing. Such so little. The correlation of five guys from the same team is more important than where they are in the order. So if you're sitting there going. I could play one, two, three, four, eight, but instead of the guy in batting eighth, I'm playing a one-off. Like you're probably better off with the, just a player from the team. Yeah, but it's a big gap. Yeah, but the guy that you're putting in its place has no correlation to the other players. The same price, the same similar projection. Play the guy that's that's on the team. Well, they're correlated. But I don't like the gaps. I don't mind the gaps. Give me all the gaps you can give me. Yeah, I'll take all the gaps. Yeah, Daniel Hutchings says the the only case I might consider looking at gaps is for pairs or maybe triples of players. Yeah, like two mans, three mans. But it seems like a fringe consideration. Right. It it, it is. It's not it's not a priority. It's a it's a luxury at best. At best. I do not mind. I do I I really don't pay that much attention to it. Matthew McManus, Matt Manis says it probably helps you to be a little bit more unique, not worrying about gaps, right? Alex Santi, don't DGAF about gaps. Give me two, three, six, eight. Don't care. Right. Everyone's trying to play one, two, three, four, five of one team, 
one, two, three from another team and the two chalk pitchers. Like, I mean, look at yesterday. The Tigers were chalky and Willie Castro was sitting there at 2% owned because he's the ninth hitter. And he's at a second. It's not like he's at an outfield position. It's second base. I mean, look at this. Castro, 2% owned at second base. Let's look at the other Tigers, okay? The other Tigers in the lineup were Grossman, 24%, right? Scope, 25%. Candelario, 13%. Miggy, 8%. Uh, Then we got Haas. Haas came in at 21. Goodrum, 7. I mean, who else was in their lineup? Was Jacoby Jones in the lineup? They had another catcher, Ramos, seen the lineup? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember the Tigers lineup. Still Castro's batting, you know, second base, 2%. Because no one wants to play the gaps, right? That's, that's the reason. So you could play you could play a chalky team and play play someone at the bottom of the order. I mean, look, how, how, how old was Edrelton Simmons? Was 1% owned, and the Twins were way owned. Madrigal, right? 7% at the bottom of that order. Right, Lurie Garcia, three percent on on the White Sox. Where, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. People are building these one, two, three, four, five, two, three, four, five, eight, you know, whatever type of stacks. So let's say you didn't want to, you don't want to do what I do, right? You don't want to use leverage plays and go. I'm just going to stack the Brewers against Snell. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I don't have the balls for that. Okay, then. Uh, you want to play the Tigers against Hentges? Play Castro in that stack, right? Don't play Scope. Play play Castro instead. But Scope projects to so much more. Scope was twenty five percent owned, and Castro was two percent owned. Now you could now you, now you could play the Tigers. Now now you get my blessing. Now you're fine. Got to do something that you're uncomfortable with. If you're not uncomfortable, if you're looking at your lineups and GPPs and you're not uncomfortable, you're not building good enough lineups. It's not just for classic, but showdowns. You're playing that type of stuff. You're not looking at your lineups going, I don't even know if I if I should just take this and flush this in the toilet. Then you're not building good enough lineups. You should be uncomfortable. You're not going after the most probable outcomes. You're going after the most profitable outcomes. Because it'd be most profitable, meaning coming in first place, going after the less probable outcomes that the field thinks is even less than it should be. And that's what I do. Nicholas Lentini says, DJ Stewart came in really low for the Orioles too, right? Because people were putting in Santander. They were putting in Mullins, not at the third outfield spot, right? They're like, oh, well, why am I playing DJ Stewart, right? Like, what was DJ Stewart was like, what, 6% owned or something? Yeah, 6% owned. It's not like a lefty. Get Shoemaker batting, what, sixth or something? No, no, because he doesn't project as well. (sighs) Okay. What are we doing today? Just for a little bit before we get out of here. Today's going to be nuts. Today is going to be nuts. Of course, the bat loves Andrew Heaney. Does he ever come in? When's the last time we had a good outing? Okay, against the Rays and against the Astros and against the, okay, so it happens once in a while. It does. He's facing Texas, so okay. Now I get it. 
dude, we have Heaney. The bat currently is Heaney as the second highest raw point projected over DeGrom. But I think this is, has to do with pitch count. I think we need to get what, what we think the pitch count is going to be. What is the bat? I'm, it has to be. I mean, there's no way that on, on 100 pitches that DeGrom against Colorado in New York is going to project this low. Let's let's take a look. Let's take a look. What Cardi, what Cardi has projected. Let's go to the actual projections. Let's go with salary. Yeah, 70. We'll have to see. But even at se- at 70 pitches, he still projects as the third highest run point pitcher on the slate. At 70 pitches. But that may move up later today. We may get we may get some news. We may, I mean. Are people going to play him? Is that is that is that is that the key thing of the entire slate? How many pitches is the Grum going to go? We see here, right? Curtis opener over here. That's I don't do, think he's on the slate. There's a lot of good pitchers: the Grum, Scherzer, Nola, Musgrove, or Nola. Nola's not on the slate. That's like the very early game. The early one that's not on the slate: Musgrove, Flaherty, Burns, Barrios, Giolito, Rich Hill, Kluber. Savali, Granke, Kershaw, Martin. Like, Garrett Richards isn't the worst. Trevor Williams isn't the worst. Gosman, Matz, Irvin, Heaney. I think what's going to end up happening, though, is that we're going to see a lot of like Minnesota against Kramer. Washington against Hoffman. Cleveland against Scooble. I don't know. And make it condensed. People may not want, want to attack some of these pitchers. So we may have, we actually may have condensed batting ownership on today's slate. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at the, the stack projections. Easier than going team by team in there. Stack projections for DraftKings. Right? Point per dollar wise, Indians, Pirates aren't on the slate. Twin Indians, twins, right? Okay, here we go. Indians against Scooble. Twins against Kramer. <laughs> Rangers against Heaney. That's good. That, talk about talk about a high variance situation, right? Heaney projects well. The Rangers point per dollar always project well. Who's going to win? Could be either side. Royals against Hill, point per dollar, but not that high ceiling. Orioles against Berrios. Tigers against Savali. Let's look high ceiling wise. Cubs aren't on the slate. Nationals against Hoffman have the highest ceiling. Nationals, Twins against Kramer, Braves. Obviously, they're expensive. Indians, okay. But look how many low. Rockies, Marlins, who's not on the slate. Mets against, even Mets against Fred. That's how bad the Mets are. Kyle Freeland is pitching. The Mets have the second lowest ceiling on the slate. A lot of stuff to choose from. A lot of different ways to go if it... I mean, to me, if there's any question on Jacob DeGrum's pitch count, there's so many other pitchers to play. Are you going to get burned by it? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Are you going to get burned by it? Because it's not like it's Jacob DeGrum at 11-8 and then like a whole bunch of garbage on today's slate. We've sure, well, look, look at look at all these pitchers. Scherzer, Musgrove, Flaherty, Burns, Barrett. I mean, Giolito, Kluber, Greg Kershaw at 8K. What's his pitch count? Why is he not projecting that well against Houston? Well, because Houston's a pretty good team. 
what is what's Kershaw's pitch count projected as of right now? It is it is 84. Okay, maybe that's why. Maybe that'll maybe that'll creep up later. But to me, that's that's the key. Like the Degrum is max price. Eleven eight is the max price for is is I'm not talking about cheap to you know not even like ten point five k Degrum. It's eleven point eight k Degrum. You told me Degrum goes a hundred and hundred pitches today. Sure, he's the he's the he's he's the best pitcher on the slate. But if there's any question about that, it's not it's not like there's garbage on the slate. There are plenty of other pitchers that could put up thirty points. Like it has a ceiling. Like just by ceiling. Close to 29 up. So you're not stuck. Well, DeGrom and there's no one else. Well, Scherzer, Giolito, Birds, Musgrove, Flaherty. If you have all the choice in the world. The only way that DeGrom beats you is if he pitches, you know, 100, 100 plus pitches and gets 15 strikeouts, which is obviously the range of outcomes. But it depends on the ownership. It may, maybe, maybe it ends up being the other way, Right. Maybe it ends up being that people are like scared of DeGrom's pitch count and DeGrom ends up being 5% up. And then you go, well, I'm going to take a shot on that. Today's going to come out and pitch 100 pitches. I think it's more likely that it's the other way. I think it's more likely that DeGrom goes over. And also, even if the news comes out, you know, we get some beat reporter or something like that, do we trust it? Let's say it comes out. Let's say, let's say manager says there will be no pitch count. Well, we've seen that before. There's not, there's no pitch count in Strasburg and he came out at like 74 pitches. There's no, it just means there's no distinct pitch. There's no, there's no there, right? Managers, coaches, they lie. Or they say something that's technically true, but yeah, there's, 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 there's no pitch limit. Well, obviously there's a pitch limit. I mean, he's not, not going to pitch 200 pitches today. Most probably. So I think that's the key. I'm much more likely on the slate. There's, there's too many other options. If Degrom is 20% owned on a 13 game slate, I'll just play with them. I'll just play with the pitchers. Of course, he and then what ends up happening? He goes 70 pitches and he still gets goes five innings and 11 strikeouts. It'd still happen. Or is Hova 64? Thank you for all your help. Been watching your content for a while now, and I took down my first tournament last Friday. Well, congratulations. Or is Hova 64? Chris Kirk, Kirk Dees is in chat. The Grum threw three innings in a rehab. Yeah, I saw that. He had against minor leaguers. He had like eight strikeouts or something. Three innings. But I mean, is he going to pitch 100? Cardi doesn't think so as of now. Cardi says 70. Why bring, uh, Dompier asked, why did, did uh, DeGrom back if, in May if he can't go over 70 pitches? Well, he will. I mean, maybe his next start. Maybe How about this start, this specific start? I don't know. Frederick Duce said he threw 102 in his rehab start. Threw 102 miles per hour. He only threw three innings. Didn't throw 100 pitches in three innings. He had like eight strikeouts. How long were these at-bats? Right? Were there with like 10 foul balls every every at-bat for him to pitch 100 pitches in three innings and still have still have eight strikeouts? We'll see. But Gio Sosada, 12, has the, the, the right mindset that I'm thinking of. At his price, though, doesn't he? He has to put up like 33, 40 points. And right, he has to put up a, at his price for you to be worth having. He has to put up a ton of, he has to put 35, 40 points. DeGrum has a good game and puts up 22, right? Let's say he pitches 80, 85 pitches and he gets eight strikeouts and he's sitting there with 
And of course, the Mets don't win because they never, they don't even have any run support. They're sitting there with 22 points. Like, are you going to be burned by that? No. So that, that's, that's the point that I'm making. Like, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is he pitches 100 pitches and gets 40 points, which still may not even kill, still may not even kill you. You could match that with someone else on this slate. But what's the more likely scenario, more probable? The Grum gets 20 to 20. Let's say he gets 22 points. Do you need that? Do you, is that necessary? It may end up being in the winning lineup. Yeah, you're right. 22 points may be fine. But 22 points may be scored by eight other pitchers as well. Right? There, there, may, there may be eight pitchers on the slate that get between 18 and 24. And the Grum's 20 foot. His high scoring, 24. It's not going to matter then. That's the point that I'm making. We'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, programming note, tomorrow there will be no show. There'll be no show. It's not, I'm not dying. I'm not dying. I have a doctor's appointment. So it's hard to get it, get into this doctor. So like whenever they have like a cancellation or something, I jump on top of it. So, so I'll, I'll be at the doctor tomorrow and, uh, we'll see what happens on the 13 game slate. And then Thursday, Thursday, we have an early slate. We have an early, like, four-game, like, noon slate, 12-10 slate. So I'll be on crunch time. So there won't, there won't be any pregame show on Thursday either. But I'll, I'll still be here in the morning just with Roth and Grant, I believe. And then Friday, schedule Friday. We're back to a pregame show, as, as usual. Yeah. I rarely ever take a day off. But uh, in order to get in with the doctor, I got to take whatever whatever they give me. They say that there's an appointment at 11, I I I guess. I guess my health is more important than you guys here, right? So hit that thumbs up button. Keep my apple juice cold. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Notification bell to know when we go live. We got MLB Grinders live later today. Crunch time for premium members. Uh, click on the link in the description. You get $10 off your first month of Roto Grinders Premium. And then the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's my own 15-hour Audio DFS Masterclass talks about the entire game theory of DFS. Any sport, it doesn't matter. So go pick that up. Theoryofdfs.com. And uh, remember, no show tomorrow. No show tomorrow. I'll be on crunch time, early crunch time on Thursday. And then we'll be back for the pregame show on Friday. Because, Yes, every once in a while, there's a day off or there's an early slate or whatever. But most of the time, most of the time I'm here, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern, for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.